Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to New Books and Poetry. I am your host, Jen Fitzgerald. Ryo Yamaguchi is the author of The Refusal of Suitors, Noemi Press 2015. His poetry has appeared in such journals as the Iowa Review, Tin House, American Letters and Commentary, and Barrow Street, among others. He also regularly reviews books for outlets such as New Pages, The Hair Splitter, and The Michigan Quarterly Review. He lives in Chicago, where he works at the University of Chicago Press. You can visit him at platsandoaths.com. Welcome, Rio. Hi, Jen. Thanks very much. So let's talk a little bit about you before jumping into the work. Sure. Where were you born and raised? Um, I've moved around quite a bit, actually. Uh, I was born uh, on Guam, in the island of Guam, uh, in the Pacific. Um, lived there. I've lived in Anchorage, Alaska, and in Baltimore, uh, and then here in the suburbs of Chicago. Uh, I have since uh, also lived in Colorado and Minnesota. Minnesota is where I did my MFA at uh, the U up there, uh, and now I'm back uh, in Chicago. Um, so kind of kind of a storied childhood, I guess. Yeah. So you were born in Guam. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's right. That's right. Yeah. How um, long it's not, did you live there? Um, only for about the first two years of my life. Um, okay. And uh, but I still feel uh, a weird island longing, especially for someone who you know lives in Midwest now. Uh, um, mm-hmm. So I haven't been back. A, a, you know, sense. So uh, I hope to get there someday. So of all the places that you lived, which one is um, the one that you'd like to return to the most? Well, I don't know. You know, I, I, I love Colorado a lot. I, I like the mountain landscapes uh, and Alaska, too. You know, I lived in Anchorage um, when I was a young kid, maybe from about three to six or something like that. Uh, I lived in Alaska. And I've always been sort of drawn to the wilderness of the West and, and also in my literary uh, thinking, too. You know, poets like Gary Snyder um, always had a really profound effect on me. Um, uh, so I think I'd like to return to those places uh, maybe sometime. Um, but I can't help but be in love with the city of Chicago, though. Yeah, totally. Um, do you have any siblings? I have uh, one sister, uh, um, uh, Laura. Um, she is about five years younger than me, um, and she also kind of lives in the area. So. Mm-hmm. And we grew up together, yeah. So when you were younger and in school, um, I'm sure in, you know, introduced to literature and all of the strange ways that we introduce kids to literature, um, when did you first feel connected to poetry? That's such a hard question to answer. I remember writing my mom a Valentine's poem, maybe sometime fourth or fifth grade. Um, and I remember really enjoying doing the rhyming of it. Um, and I, I felt that I could feel sort of a natural sense for, um, for, for meter, uh, especially as it plays into rhyme and, and, and basically writing like a song, you know? Um, and I remember that kind of beginning, uh, to get me interested in, in language. Um, and I kept a journal at that time. I was like, probably many poets, a somewhat reclusive um, kid. And um, I sort of worked things out um, throughout grade school uh, and up into high school. Um, and it was not until about my junior year in high school when we read the love song of J. Alfred Prufrock. Mm. Um, so sonically infecting, um, so so dark, um, such a dark vision, um, but one that seemed true that I felt that 
I really connected then to poetry. Yeah, so you were brought in mostly by by your ear, by um, the musicality of verse. Yes, I think I think that's absolutely true. Yeah. Hmm. So let's hear one of the poems. Um, would you read Register on page 12? Sure. Register. In retrospect, everything was capable of being measured, whether toward a disappearing point of summation or the heart contrived to a kind of diligence, touching the light, wet skin of the phenomenon. A dumb monstrosity of cumulus clouds turned hard in the gap between skyscrapers. Our tendencies were to sidle up to our neglect, pressurize our boredom, the prodding little cells that had a ligament's kind of potentiality, but a wildflower's delicate verve. I had begun to think what I'd really developed was in fact a profoundly sophisticated sense of ethics, at least as it had been going on demonstrating itself. The longer it is, then the faster we must go. Such are the kinds of songs we sing. I hotkey undo until it appears that I am at the bottom of the cache. I only admit this to you, you know, mostly in that we can afford some asides. Henceforth, consider this a love poem. Thank you very much. Thank you. So um, your poems move from small, compact forms to blocks of text to sprawling Whitman-esque lines, but stay somewhat consistent within these parameters. How do you, or the poem, decide the form? I ask myself this question all the time, and I, and I do think um, that I could claim exactly the influences you're mentioning. I, I remember reading once about how American poetry was built on the shoulders of either Emily Dickinson or Walt Whitman hmm. um, in, in that sort of compression uh, and, and also and then that ranginess. Um, I would also claim um, some of the Asian short-form poets like, like Basho and Issa and Masaoka Shiki, uh, and then also one of my favorites, Jory Graham, who hmm. wrote in these, in these Whitman-esque or Hopkins-esque kind of lines. Um, but I have to say that usually when I sit down to write a poem, I decide that I'm going to do one or the other right away. Um, and I know that sometimes the rhythms uh, can be very similar um, across the two, but it's, it's really in some ways kind of an arbitrary decision um, that I feel does influence even the very first draft of that poem. Um, the shorter lines, I think, I, I tend to try and compress the imagery um, in certain ways, uh, shorten the phrasing, things like that. Mm. Um, I, I've always given a lot of thought to the idea of, um, you know, the Dickinson-Whitman American experience of poetry, especially when we want to talk about diversity of voice and other influences um, that I think American literature welcomes with open arms. Um, and the yeah, thing... Yeah. I'm oh, sorry, go ahead. What were you no, I was just agreeing, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the thing that I really liked about your work is that I felt... Um, I felt a continuity of voice within these forms, kind of like um, the poems themselves. They could inhabit multiple forms and just compress or expand based upon those. But then I also wonder how it would change the content of the poem to have these other forms inflicted on it. Do you ever mess around with that after the fact? 
Um, yes, and it's, it's lovely to hear this continuity of voice, and in some ways that's kind of an overt part of this project, this, this, the refusal of suitors, the suitors being you know, different kinds of forms. Um, I've been sort of attracted to this idea of, of receiving forms, you know, that a form presents itself to you and you, and you maybe date it for a couple weeks or something and then, mm-hmm. and then you, and you part ways, you know. Um, I, but but that that sense of diversity, well, you know, it's the, the with the Whitman thing. I contain multitudes. You know, I, I love that idea of diversity being compressed within a singular voice. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of it, I think, is also um, the uh, uh, part of it is also just the process of putting the book together. You know, there are many other poems, obviously, that didn't make it in there. And and I wonder if other poets kind of go through this. I I have entire you know folders full of poems that are maybe the poems are maybe just too angry or something uh, or or too cheesy um, you know or things like this uh, things that I don't want to work into my public oeuvre um, but that maybe still feel important to my development or something like that mm-hmm. absolutely yeah um, so let, let's hear another poem could you read um, in the disciple a whole on page 39 yes In the disciple, a whole. To be goldest of all, to lay track, to be born through the medicine, over the soft thing in the middle of the country, so forth, to be song like that. Bring me to the roof of your mouth, please, like we gathered at the casino's door. I can believe in what lurches out from oneself the tinier increments of time, anticipating the needs and the pathways, smear of intention, a silver so unnatural except here in the mind. Then I am in this place, then this, like so, escaping like the engine in the casing in the yard we stepped too near. On the way down the sidewalk we had some nights, didn't we? Bring me again to the water in your eye where the sounds are. Only you can say it before I say it. Only you can ascend the music without ever touching. Good ghost, mother of muscle and distance. Here is my physical self, which I've copied again and again through you. Thank you. Thank you. So when, for you, is a poem complete, or is it ever complete? Um, that's another tough question. You that thought I, this was going to be easy, didn't I, you? I did, I did. I had a huh. walk in the park. <laughs> um, I, it, you know, it's funny, I was, actually, I was working, uh, I was working on a poem this morning. The, the opening of the line is, there's only one thing that is important, and that is completion. Hmm. And so I guess it's something I think about. Um, I I feel somewhat nebulous and kind of magical about this kind of thing. I, I feel that a poem is complete when it tells me that it is. You know, <laughs> I know that's kind of an evasive answer, but um, I I look f- I think about poems as being kind of like a tuning fork that it, it has to have certain resonances. Um, it has to leave maybe a certain portion of itself um, undisclosed, um, but that that portion has to be in balance with the parts of the poem that are being disclosed. Um, 
and you know, and I also think about the different sort of territories um, that the poems will inhabit. So much poetry today is very associational, kind of loosely fitting together impressions or you know strings of language um, that kind of harmonize with each other. Um, so I look for you know pathways that seem to lead nowhere that maybe need to be closed, and I'll we'll try and close them or see if they need to be opened up further. Um, and usually it's a matter of balance. Um, you know, sometimes giving an idea two or three lines or something like that. Um, it can feel like a formula sometimes, um, but eventually poems start to ring and, and are sonorous, and that's when I feel like it's complete. So are there any versions of yourself who wrote early poems who could not write the poems you're writing now, and vice versa? Yes, I... I do, I do feel that everyone is constantly developing, even if in nuanced ways. And, and I love as a reader of poetry to watch other poets, you know, go through those things. Um, and I think of that kind of development as somewhat deliberate sometimes, you know, especially now. Um, so many collections can be s sort of like uh, project oriented, um, you know, where you take up this this or that subject um, and, and engage it. Um, I am well, like I was mentioning the the West before, and my interest in in particularly in, in mountain in mountain living. Um, that's not really my life um, anymore. You know, I, I live in a city. I consider myself an urban poet, um, and so a lot of my work in the past um, was very nature oriented. Like you know, like the Gary Snyder stuff. It would be about going for a hike and the trilling birds in in the you know in the cedars and that kind of stuff. And I don't really write. Um, about those things in the same way. Um, but one thing that is, I think, continuous um, that I try to maintain is a sense of the sublime. Um, and, mm -hmm. and to me, the sublime is now about the way the light reflects off the skyscrapers and you know, things like that. So. Mm -hmm. I'm going to end up calling you the Northwest Whitman before we're, yeah. <laughs> we're done with this. I can tell. Uh, I accept. <laughs> Okay, um, so let's hear another poem. Um, could you please read Our Wars on page 19? Yeah. <clears throat> Our Wars. I stepped around the bright spot in the middle of the floor, thought slowly, tried to let it be everything and equal and flat. When I thought finally of how we came to, to live beneath this hook craft, this model of a model, a train passed to erase the tree line, and the lake was there in its charcoal expanse, muted shimmer beneath the gas of the sun. One part of my body had left, and the empty place was a metallic-tinted dirt. You were curled in your bedroom like a statement you want to but cannot make. When I see you on the street, the moths are parting all around you, their chalk fuming, backlit by the sun, all up the column of your height. Inside is a horse, a trophy, a kingdom that was just an afternoon. That last image is, uh, is so surreal and, and somewhat haunting. And you have moths out during the day, partying around, talk, fuming back. It's fantastic. How do you, um, with yeah, moments I, like that, because you, you do this a lot in, in your poetry, like um, you, you enter into the other zone, the lizard brain, as I call it. Um, yeah. <laughs> so how, how, do you, how do you call up images like that? Um, I, uh, 
Well, I do. I do. I, I like. To, I like to think of myself as lizard brainy um, and <laughs> and you know visionary, uh, psychedelic. You know, I mean all all those kinds of things. Um, I was a um, I was a, a big hippie growing up, and so I was certainly steeped in the iconography and, and imagery of of mind expansion and, and those and those kinds of things. Um, I, yeah, and, and that kind of stuff comes from all kinds of places. Like the moth image actually is was actually sort of a real thing that happened uh, when there was this peculiar week or two when I lived in Denver. Um, this this happens, you know, people talk about this moths. Um, there's this whole sort of migration of moths that come in from the plains and they go, they seek the mountains. Um, and, you know, it's the, people watch as the bears will like kind of go up there and try and eat these moths. And, you know, the moths like um, are a significant percentage of the bears diet, you know, that kind of stuff um, before winter comes. Um, but that means that Denver can um, actually from time to time get this crazy influx of moths. Um, they're everywhere. You start your car and they flutter around from under the wheel wells of the car. Um, and it's a, it's a surreal natural event. Um, and that was actually something that just kind of happened one day. I was standing there looking at someone I was with and the moths were, were parting around her and backlit and it was very beautiful. Um, and that's just like an image that never really left. Um, but, but sometimes I, I try to conjure those things too and, and, and create them. And, um, you know, a lot of it has to do with marrying sort of abstract thought with physical images. Um, and, you know, trying to think about things like, you know, what does the sky taste like, you know, or just, you know, simple stuff like that. Um, and kind of ask myself those kinds of logical questions and see if I can't generate a compelling image out of them. I had no idea about a moth migration. Uh, yeah, 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 it's true. Uh, it's it's weird. It's really, it can be weird. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I wonder how many more natural phenomena like that exist in this country and in this world that we don't know about, but that yet would make it a little more magic to be here. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think there are, must be so many, and, and, and maybe isn't that part of the joy of, uh, of travel and exploration, you know, to, to go see those things. Yeah. Okay. Or even just doing them, you know, on the Internet, too. You know, but, uh, yeah. It feels like it should be the poet's job to bring those things to the surface. I uh, I, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so um, it feels like there are systems of poems within this large system of poems that are in conversation with one another. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how this collection was organized? Um, yeah, absolutely. I um, Well, kind of going back to the thing we were talking about, about the reception of forms and feeling that these different forms were coming to me, um, uh, many of these poems started as just really kind of little miniature projects. Um, you know, I would sit down and say, I want to write a couple of prose poems and, and, you know, I would sort of write them around the same time. Uh, and then, you know, like, like all of us do, I, I'd say, well, now I have a manuscript of four or five poems I can send to magazines and journals. Um, and, but I always felt that I was trying to do a bunch of different things, um, like that, have a bunch of different little mini projects, projects that wouldn't even, um, that couldn't even constitute a chapbook length. You know, book just just really small amounts, um, and I found myself essentially sitting on, on an entire body of work that was that was kind of like this—a series of, of all these kind of small projects, prose poems, uh, the long Whitman-esque things, these sort of shorter, tighter poems. Um, uh, you know, some poems are are double-spaced, long lines. You know, things like that. Mm. Um, w one thing that I knew that I wanted to do when I put the book together, though, was that I didn't want to group those poems. I wanted to sort of evenly disperse them um, in this kind of colloidal suspension uh, across the collection. Um, and so uh, I had I had several rounds of, of trying to go through and figure out how I was going to order the poems. Um, 
learn to see which poems in different forms maybe had the same emotional tenors as as other ones, you know, in, in opposed forms. Um, feeling that maybe some poems had an emotional height to them and I could put them, you know, maybe toward the end of the collection and those kinds of things. Um, there's a lot of moving my furniture around and laying all the poems out uh, by paper on my floor, you know, like a lot of people will do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just and just playing jigsaw puzzle with the whole thing. Mm-hmm. That's a really fun part, though. I love it. I think it's so much fun. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I wish I had more space, you know, to do it. Totally. <laughs> my small, small apartment. Yeah. Um, so, yes, uh, the thing about these small groups, are you saying that this collection is comprised of a group of these small groups? Because I am noticing, uh, you know, pieces of similar form and content that are spread out but still call back to previous poems. Uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, so it's a, I would say it's a group of small groups. Um, and and once I had it assembled, you know, I saw I saw holes and fissures and things, and I would actually wrote I think a few poems I wrote just to kind of round things out or feel like you know well this you know this particular form could use one or two more poems or could use you know I, I, I as the book was coming together I I did write extra poems you know mm-hmm. um, um, but yeah yeah it's a it's a I, I tried very hard to try and have poems talk at great distance across the collection to each other. Um, and, and how much time did it take to compose all these? Um, I, a friend was just asking me that question, and the best answer I could give is probably about three years. It's probably about three years' worth of work. Um, um, some poems maybe go back a little bit beyond that, but the real, the real heat of generation was, was about over three years. Hmm. So could you read um, Fend on page 28? Fend. Dear mechanism, dear blank of separated parts, the dining room is the hollow of my accumulations. Never have I been so arrowed through channels of rain on the house's edge, my deep greenery, a plane diving the clouds in the back of my audition. Say it's complete. I will not believe you. I'll pick up my legs with my hands. Say dark. My granular sight. Whatever has been flecked against us moves so slowly toward its coherence. In the dream, I had the metal we wrapped became the derailment, the planes spotted with rust beneath the high sun. Around the corners, I hear her carrying a box. I think the ocean is vast. I think, furthermore, I will go on. Otherwise, what? Standing in the street? swatting the air with a stick. Thank you. So I want to speak, um, or talk rather, about the speaker of these poems. Um, The pieces feel crafted by a singular steady hand, someone who is sorting through experiences or making sense of relationships. Who is your speaker? Um, I I think it's right. I, I felt that I wanted to... Take um, I, I like the idea of having a project. So so I wanted to have this idea of this, this Odysseus thing, which is the refusal of suitors, um, Odysseus and Penelope. Mm-hmm. Um, so in some ways, I sort of felt like I wanted to kind of imitate the voice of Penelope, of of someone who's being courted all the time. Um, and but of course, this was an idea that came after I had generated quite a number of these poems without that necessarily uh, in mind. Um, so I slowly tried to work 
um, my own experiences, uh, you know, as as a male poet, um, into this project that was maybe differently gendered, um, and that kind of resulted in poems that where I felt that I was assuming different personas, um, but was still trying to get at my own deep personal baggage, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. um, and particularly my feelings uh, of you know with being. Uh, uh, you know, with my wife, my long-standing partner, Kate, um, a lot of these are love poems. Um, but I felt that I could channel them into this sort of project of Penelope. Um, a lot of the poems, the title poems, you know, the, the refusal of suitors is a title poem for many poems in the collection. Um, those were really, uh, an overt project of trying to speak as though from the voice of different suitors, um, which in the end were really just different emotional sides, um, different forms of my own desire, um, you know, um, that I thought I could kind of put into these sort of faux character voices. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so do you, I, I know that, um, the psychic distance that personas afford the poet usually, um, you know, allows for more safety of, of sorting through the difficult things that we wouldn't otherwise want to articulate. Um, do you think that your work, you know, from here on out, will carry a sort of persona? Um, I'm not sure. I, I really enjoyed uh, flirting with, at least with the idea of persona, um, and and also with um, this idea of, of, you know, maybe writing a play or something like that, having different, having really, really distinctly different voices um, working together. I could very well see that being a project in the future. Um, right now, the poems I'm working on actually are, are a lot closer, a lot more personal um, to me, a lot more invested um, in kind of my own sort of logic and philosophies um, uh, to the point that I kind of want to see through um, my current work and into a collection that, that actually sort of strays a little bit from this kind of persona work um, and, and maybe is more singularly uh, my voice. You know. Yeah. Would you want to share some of your philosophies with us? Um, yeah, well, I don't know. <laughs> um, I, I guess it's uh, maybe I, I could put it like this. I, I think that I, I'm sort of I'm sort of interested in science uh, and um, and where science kind of meets um, the numinous. Uh, so uh, the the very specialized tools of inquiry that we have running up against the wall of the sublime. Hmm. Um, you know, <laughs> how's awesome. that? Yeah, no, that, that's awesome. <laughs> um, so for the grand finale of uh, the reading, um, I had hoped to maybe get a succession of the title poems. I, I counted four. Um, yeah. So you can either read all four, three, or two of them. Um, yeah. whichever, whichever ones you'd like. We're, we're here. Um, absolutely. Uh, you might uh, if, you might have to help me with the page numbers again. Sure. So I have 44, 67, 80, and 93. Cool. I kind of wanted to, to you know, hear what they sounded like back-to-back in that yeah. little mini system. Yeah. That's great. Well, I shoot, I mean, if it's not too much, I'll do, I'll do them all. No. Hey, go right ahead. Um, all right, so... Here's the first, The Refusal of Suitors. Let me tell you a different story. In it, I am a merchant. In it, I am the sleepy provincial nights. When I was a teenager, my mother brought me to a physician. Afternoons then were like rain falling on a lake, 
nights like magnesium fire. And he said, I would forever be my own worst enemy, and that I should live my life inside of this fact. This is a story about lions and hyenas. This is a story about the stony core. In it, I am the joie de vivre in a foodless town. I am the magician's vacation. Right back at you, the archipelago spells out, demoral hum of the cargo plane. When I was between marriages, I took the better part of a spring and rafted down the Rio Negro. Let my bare torso itch in the foliage so badly, the logistics began to thin into an alcohol, a repetition of nights unraveling like noise, like a husband who is only abstractly dead. I have seen the videotape. In it, he is cast in green light, a bag over his head. He skates beyond promise. When you are the one waiting for the return, the world seems more professional. The world seems to be your fault. Go to another one here. The Refusal of Suitors. I knew you from another project under different employ when we are pinned to the background. Did you see what I did? I continued. It is difficult to gauge exactly where your thinking ends, but here against this table, things could be said to be naturally complete, insofar as they have found a certain rhythm. I originally meant our friendship to be a kind of essay, to be secured by a general obviousness, but itchy otherwise with details. I feel like we've been trying not to make eye contact all our lives. Waves, say the Lepidopterists. Watch, I'll survey the landscape and hash it out into mental sectors. We'll squeeze between the teleprompter and the averment. I do think we could be some lovely entertainment, a stagecraft, a system of pleasure. Keep going here. Mm -hmm. This next one is just a few pages after the one I just read. The Refusal of Suitors Lucky we are, say the aftermaths, say our embouchures in their plasticized review, this permanent exhibit. But the future is trick-earned and never a derivative guarantee, and in this apartment it's had everything tasting like metal, hasn't it? News as kinds of objects tied to our bodies in the most lackluster named of knots. You are a pretty thing to those who are making an attempt. Perhaps it's a matter of register that the day runs so hot its constituents can know no other law, quietly ferrying out the incomplete strands under the pressed night. You are the adjuster, fair widow, the shuttle king, your right hand always counting it off and your left smearing it into the paint. You are designed to feel this uncomfortable in your speech. I am swatting the air of your abandoned room with a stick. I am in your basement wearing my hand on the floor in a capillary rub. In my mouth right now is your crinoline, O oh queen, the, ah, the hot sanctum of your everlasting sick day. Always being woken, I can be a kind of blood to you, 
so long as I am contained. That our love is an erasure is only a fact. This is an address about luck and what you have wanted to undo, what has jailed us in these two minutes. One more here, the last one, I think. The refusal of suitors. Why would you take refuge, darling, in something new? Having rested my shoes against the wall, having blanketed us with analysis. Why would you tell me to stop humming this, your favorite song? Only the bold ever develop into a recognizable shape, what we in confidence could string into the mid-ground to take aim at. I have been in here for days trying to get soap from the dispenser. You have been slicing into your polychromatic thumb. What will it take to call us even? Consider the universe as an object, something that can always be got at with the right instruments. I am waiting for you like I wait for an emergency. Thank you. Thank you so much. He's a killer final line there. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. It's funny to read all those, and uh, there's so much of what we've been talking about um, kind of buried in all those lines. It was just so, so that's good. That's reassuring. I think, yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah, I, I loved um, thinking of these as um, a family of poems, you know, to be read together, but but had they're a little mini diaspora within the collection. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's a great way to think about it. I, I was I was uncertain, you know. I got I had gotten some feedback um, from some early readers that you know maybe said I shouldn't do that, and, and so I was really kind of hemming and hawing on, on, on how how to do those poems. You know. No, it was perfect. So, who are you reading right now? Um, I'm I'm reading all kinds of people, and I, I I never oh you know I feel like that Twilight Zone episode. I just never have enough time to read. Um, you know, I work for a publisher, uh, so I, I you know. I, always reading uh, there. Um, I try to review as many books as I can. Um, I, I've been reading a lot from Wave. Um, I, I love this Robert Lacks collection they did a, a couple years ago. It's been really great. Um, I love G.C. Waldrop's new book um, that just came out a couple months ago. Um, i trying to remember the name of it. I'm looking for it on my bookshelf here. Um, uh, Testament, Testament. Mm -hmm. um, I, uh, I'm, I'm reading... Um, uh, well, so I'm reading a lot of Wave. I'm trying to read a lot of uh, Ugly Duckling. Uh, uh, Tomas Salamun, I've been reading tons of, you know, since he passed away. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but then I'm reading other things. Like, I'm, 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 totally, I'm totally reading The Walking Dead. I love it. It's great. Um, I just got Being in Time, the, you know, Heidegger's opus. Uh, I, I, I work on quite a lot of philosophy books. Mm -hmm. um, and, but I've never read Being in Time, even though, uh, you know, I, I'm pretty familiar with it. But uh, so I'm kind of about to crack that open. Um, I've really been into Edmund Morris's biographies of Teddy Roosevelt. Um, really? Yeah, they're they're awesome. They're so good. Teddy Roosevelt is such a fascinating, uh, you know, character. Um, so I, I just I just finished the first one before his presidency. Um, so I'm trying to read more histories. Uh, so pretty, you know, wide ranging stuff. Definitely. Um, do you write in other genres? Um, not really. I mean, with the exception of doing reviews, and I'll do um, I'll do a few essays and things here and there, um, but. Uh, I love the idea of writing a novel, and I, and I have kind of the beginnings of one, but I don't know. It's, it's, it'll be a long time coming, I think. I try, stick to the poetry mostly. Mm -hmm. 
So what would you do if you couldn't write poetry? I don't know. I think I'd be really lazy and lame. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, it's, you know, you know what I mean? I mean, it's hard. You have to, you kind of have to stay on the ball sometimes. Uh, you know, yeah. um, nothing's easy about poetry. I, I, I uh, you know, I was awake at 4.30 this morning working on poems. Um, I don't like to do that. Yeah, I mean, it's not fun to do, but but it's, it's necessary. Yeah. Um, so I would watch a lot of TV. <laughs> so, yeah. Is there any other um, creative outlet where that energy might be funneled? Um, yeah, you know, it's... Um, I'm guessing music, since you were first drawn to poetry for the musicality. Yeah, that's right. I am a mus- I am a musician. I guess you could say I play. I do play in a band. Um, I'm, I'm a drummer. Um, oh, cool. uh, so rhythm, you know, very much rhythm, rhythm, rhythm. Um, and I would love to do that more. Um, I love I love the idea of composition. Um, and I and I tend to think I think about poetry in in compositional terms a lot of the time too. I mean, so you know the sonic things that we were talking about. Um, I could very easily uh, mess around um, in in like finale or garage band. I could do that kind of stuff, you know, all day long. Mm-hmm. Um, I love just moving pieces around, um, and I think it'd be like that. Um, I like photography a lot, although I don't feel I don't feel I quite have an eye for it. But uh, um, you know, I love post production. I love I love working in in uh, Photoshop and, and Premiere um, and those kinds of things. So cool. Yeah. So who are you listening to right now? Um. Uh, well, you know the seasons. The season is about to change, and uh, I get into this really heavy duty ska kind of ska early reggae phase right around this time of year um, really yeah mine yeah, like, is in spring oh really yeah no I mean that makes total sense too um, <laughs> I um, no that's awesome that's awesome I, I, I do always I do feel like it's maybe a little bit out of step um, you know but there's just something about when the leaves change that I, I like that you know the Desmond Decker and um, and some of the early Trojan stuff um, there's Tro- Trojan has all these great compilations out um, you know they do um, I just discovered um I actually just discovered this SoundCloud um, called Afropop Worldwide, um, <laughs> which is great. And they just did a um, they just did a show on Champeta, uh, which is this um, music from Colombia, um, kind of like cumbia, but it's a little more a little more African. Um, has a little bit more of this like Afropop feel to it, like like Suku and High Life and some of these kind of Afropop genres. So, so I've been trying to I've been trying to, to listen to as much Champeta as I can find. It's a little tough to find, but um, so. Yeah, sorry. I had never thought of like ska for me for some reason. As soon as the weather turns and you get that first warm day, it's like, where's my Goldfinger? Where's No Effects? Where's Less Than You know, like I need, I need those things on right away. Yeah, yeah. I could see that though, where because it's like that music, it's, it wakes you up. You know what I mean? It's a kind of awakening or something. Like, um, that's cool. I think that's great. I love, I love to hear what people go to in different seasons. You know. Um, yeah, for me, fall is classical music. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Oh, I feel like, I mean, that was my last question, but I just don't want to let you go. I feel like there's a lot more that we could talk about. Yeah, absolutely. This is very, this is very much fun. It's a great time. Yeah. <laughs> Are there any um, final or parting thoughts that you'd like to leave our listeners with about this collection? Um, no, I just, uh, I, I would love it if, um, you know, if you haven't picked it up, please pick it up. Please subscribe uh, to Noemi. They're a wonderful press they make. Um, I mean, obviously, you, you can't, you know, see it here necessarily in the podcast, but they, their designs are beautiful. They're some of the best designs. You know, and I work with books. I see all kinds of books. Um, their designs are stunning. I'm so uh, happy with it. My interior design is great. I know that's a weird thing, but, um, but the typeset is really beautiful. Is. Um, so... 
Um, so I definitely urge people to, you know, if not my book, but please, you know, include my book too. Um, I'll pick up some stuff from them. Um, they've been a treat to work with. So. Great. Well, thank you so much for taking time out to speak with us and to share your work. Yeah, thank you, Jen, so much uh, for inviting me on. Uh, and good luck with your own book. Hey, thanks. Yeah. Uh, this is Jen Fitzgerald with New Books and Poetry, reminding you to support all the arts, but especially poetry. <laughs>